0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be.
1: First, 1 Thessalonians 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, The rapture verse of the Bible. So let's be encouraged about that. The next verse. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. I'm like, hold on a minute. You just told us in Thessalonians, be encouraged. The day of the Lord is coming. Tell everybody that. We're going to be caught up with him in the air. We're going to be united with everyone we've lost. Next Lectionary text, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. It is as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies like Sunday morning. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, like God's blood sugar was low or something, to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like water, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I'm like, well, that's confusing. Let's keep going. Joshua Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to to Sheshem, That's hard to say when you have a cut on the roof of your mouth. And summoned the elders, the heads of the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Naor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, everybody say it together, we will serve the Lord. All right. So God tells us in that text, there's something to do. We can do things. And then... The final text is this lovely selection from Matthew's Gospel.
0: Uh, So it's a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 25, 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord.
1: Look forward to the day of the Lord. It's going to be great. Don't look forward to the day of the Lord. It's going to be terrible. Why would you look forward to it? Like, because the Bible told me to? The Bible also told us not to. Well, at least there's something to do. We will ask for me in my house. We'll serve the Lord. Oh, but wait. Jesus is going to be delayed, and a few people planned for his lateness, which almost seems rude, doesn't it? Think about this. Imagine you were so late all the time that people began to plan for you being late and then called that wise. I'm going to mess with you a little bit today, okay? I had all week just sitting down to think about this. So I'm going to mess with you a little bit. This parable of the 10 women is confusing to me because, A, the five who had extra oil refused to share with any who didn't, said, you go buy it, we're going to the party and you're not, which doesn't seem very nice, doesn't seem giving, and they also, the, the, the five who got sent away, they had enough to be there until the time that the bridegroom said he'd be there. He's the one who's late, and they're the ones who are in trouble? So look forward to the day of the Lord. Encourage each other with this. I was even texting with Marcella this morning, and I said, we have a crazy verse. And she, she literally texted back the last line of the Thessalonians text and said, there's a command for us to encourage one another until you read Amos. And then Amos says, don't encourage anybody about the day of the Lord. It's darkness and it's not light. But Joshua says, well, you know what? But even in the middle of that, you can get up and you can do things and you can get things done. And then the parable of the ten virgins says, yeah, but then there's just going to be a whole lot of waiting with nothing to do. And I'm sitting there in the, in the oral surgeon's office like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I said this. I said, Lord, in life and in the word, you seem to contradict yourself often. Is that a dangerous thing for a pastor to say? Here's the reality, don't say yes. (laughs) Here's the reality. We have been so bent on defending the scriptures, which we don't ever need to do, that we have said there's no contradictions in them because they're perfect. But the reality is there are contradictions all through the Bible and here's why because there's contradictions in my life and there's contradictions in your life. And the Bible is not about a lack of contradictions. It's about how Jesus harmonizes contradictions and turns them into a testimony that makes sense. The Bible is perfect because of the work it performs in our life. The Bible is perfect because it's not about trying to prove whether or not the Bible is true. The reality of the Bible is that it proves that we are true. The Bible tells you the true story of yourself, and it tells it to you unapologetically. There are contradictions in your life. There are hypocrisies in your life. There are things that you front to other people and that behind the scenes you don't do, but the reality is God knows all of them, and he is taking all the sour notes of contradiction, and he is harmonizing them into a symphony that is your testimony mixed with my testimony that overcomes the world. So is the Bible contradictory? Of course it is. Jesus is nothing but mercy, grace, and peace, and then God is killing groups of people in the Old Testament. It's like, well, which one is true? There are, there, the Bible's doing this on purpose because your life is filled with contradiction. My life is filled with contradiction. And here's, here's, an, early, here's an early note to write down. When contradiction is hidden, it becomes hypocrisy. When contradiction is exposed, it becomes harmony. When you live to hide your contradictions, you become hypocritical. But when you let your contradictions sit there, God harmonizes them. Hiding them is hypocrisy, owning them is harmony but they're there, and they're there in the word of God too. It does say to look forward to the day of the Lord. It does say not to look forward to the day of the Lord because there's something beautiful that happens in that contradiction that teaches us a better way to live. Ian, you could put up the picture of the cross that we made. The beautiful reality of the cross is this. The cross being two beams that intersect with each other, the cross is the place where all of life's contradictions are always harmonized. The cross is where Jesus, his feet are off the ground. He's above earth, yes? But he's not quite in heaven. He's below heaven, and he's above the earth. Why? Because he's trying to unite this place we call heaven, and he's trying to unite it with this place we call earth so that the two would become one. So he's off the earth, pulling heaven down, pulling the earth up into this place of harmony. There's a contradiction between heaven and what's going on on the earth. Amen? Can we agree with that? And Jesus is in between heaven and earth on the cross, pulling them together, harmonizing the contradictions. And then his hands are reached out to... A believer, and his hands are reached out to somebody who's in pain and and living a very traumatic life and is in disorientation, frustration, disbelief, doubt. And his hands are not just reached out to the one. His hands on the horizontal beam are reached out to both because he's trying to harmonize the good thief in me and the bad thief in me. Thief no matter what write that down. The thief who's trying and the thief who can't. He's pulling heaven and earth together into himself. He's pulling our true self and our shadow self into him. He's harmonizing contradiction. And so I looked at these four texts and I said, Lord, I wonder if, I, if we apply these seemingly contradictory texts to the cross, is there beauty, is there harmony, is there music to be played in these contradictions? Therefore, in the contradictions of my life, in the contradictions of your life. When I read the Amos text, Let Justice Roll Down, it reminded me of one of the crescendo moments in one of the most famous speeches ever given. I'm sure you know, it's Dr. King's. I had a dream speech, and he sort of gets to the end with this idea of justice rolling down. And that, this morning, reminded me of a book that I recently finished. It's called Martin, Malcolm, and America, A Dream or a Nightmare. I would love everybody to read this book. James Cone, who is a brilliant author, seeks to harmonize the life of Dr. King and Malcolm X because his take is that the powers that be want to make us think that these two men hated each other and their visions were opposed to each other because if we ever find out that their visions were actually united, they would gain traction even in death and things might start to change. And so the powers that be try to make us think that there's contradictions that can't be resolved, but there's a harmony between these two men. He ends by saying, one had a dream, one had a nightmare. Both of them knew that they were going to wake up to a better day. A dream or a nightmare, but they both knew they were going to wake up to a better day. Malcolm X is famous for saying, while Dr. King was in Washington having a dream, I was in Harlem Having a nightmare. And they take that, say, see, they were against each other. But they both believed a better day was coming. And this book shows something very interesting. Later on in the book, and and, and this is this is relevant to the texts, relevant to your drive to work tomorrow. So follow me along this little journey here. James Cohn writes. You get assassinated if you combine the dream and the nightmare. And he says this. If you just have a dream, the powers that be won't kill you because they know it's unrealistic. If you say we could win today, they won't kill you because they know you can't. If you just say we'll win tomorrow, won't kill you because they're in power today. But if you ever make it seem like tomorrow is beginning to dawn today, and the hope for tomorrow is breaking its way into the reality of today, they'll kill you. They didn't kill Jesus because of his miracles, and they didn't kill Jesus because he said he was the coming one. They killed Jesus because his miracles today proved that his coming tomorrow was already starting to happen, and they killed him today. As long as the powers, whether they're people in office or whether they're the demons and principalities around us, as long as they can keep us in contradiction, they'll keep us safe. But once they start to see harmony in the contradiction, they, their thrones start to get a little rattled. He said this, he said, no one in power loves midnight because it's the moment when when today becomes tomorrow. In 1965, Dr. King spoke in Montgomery, and he gave a speech called, how long, not long. It's one of those speeches that as a pastor, when you hear it, you say, I never want to speak again for the rest of my entire life. It's called, how long, not long. And it's genius because, on the one hand, he's asking a question and answering it. How long? Not long. Like kids in the car. How long until we get there? Not long, even if it's 48 hours away. But on the other hand, how long is not a question, it's a statement. How long, O Lord? Have you ever, in a moment of exasperation in life, said, How long am I going to go through this? How many more surgeries? How many more traffic jams? How many more house issues as soon as I save a little bit of money? Another furnace issue. Another coworker who smells. (laughs) Another boss who's going to look over me to somebody less qualified because them getting promoted makes the boss feel safer than me getting promoted. How long? Not long, but we also know not long means could be a very long time. And being the rhetorical master that he was, he was spinning and riffing off of how long, not long, to say, in the contradiction, a spirit is birthed that lets you anchor down into the problem today and have enough stamina to see how far we can go. The reality, Salem, is this. The church should not be people who take sides. We should be way makers, not side takers. The church's (laughs) job is not to tell people what side they should be on. It's to tell people the way that they should be on. We live in a world now of slogans that are sour. I'm with Martin. I'm with Malcolm. That was, before hashtags, before Twitter, before the internet, that was a thing. It shouldn't have been. They would have disagreed with that. They wouldn't have wanted you saying that. Go all the way back to Corinthians. Some of you say, I am of Apollos. Some of you say, I am of Paul. Stop saying, I stand with Black lives matter. Blue lives matter. Red lives matter. All lives matter. I'm with Israel. I'm with Palestine. There's so much truth in all of them, but when they're being put in a sling and hurled at other people, they're making sour music, The church should not be side takers, we should be way makers. Our God is not left, he's not right, listen, he's not centrist, he's an altogether different kind of stance. He holds all of them accountable and blesses all of them. He sees the good in all of them and he exhorts the evil ambition in all of them. That's why the Bible seems to have contradictions because our lives have them, our society has them, history has them. You can't sit two people down and have them talk about history and agree on anything. You can't look at a video anymore and agree on what you're seeing. As Christmas time is coming along, they're showing all them new little Google phone. You could just make your family members disappear. Like the rapture just done happen and you were left behind. But you know what? That's funny, it's cute. Everybody's in the little old navy pajamas and they're making people disappear and all this kind of stuff. I was at the Taylor Swift con- even if I wasn't there, I could make it like I was. That's funny until you're in court and you're saying somebody threw that rock and that video edited that out. You can't trust what you watch anymore. Everything is fake news except for the good news. We need to be well-versed in the good news, not to get into the debate, but to speak a better word. Not to tell people what side you should be on, but to harmonize the sides, to help them find a place at the table to have them sit and eat with each other. Last week, you know when when you're flying and it says we've begun our descent and the f- the air ride is still like another two hours, but we've begun our descent. This is the beginning of closing right now. We're at 30,000. We're eventually going to land, but we're starting to. So, Last week we talked about Lion and lamb, and how lions and lambs are contradictions until Jesus touches them. And now the lion lies down with the lamb. The lion doesn't stop being a lion, and the lamb doesn't stop being a lamb, but they're no longer in contradiction with each other. They're harmonized in the person of Jesus Christ. This is why it says in Thessalonians that we're going to be caught up in the air, Why? Because heaven is someplace out there. No. Oh, because heaven is someplace here. No. Because there is being pulled down, and here is being pulled up into an altogether new place. I did a wedding last week. Larry Johnson got married last week. He did. (laughs) To Vanetta Johnson. Now. And we stood, we stood right here and they had unity candles and Vanetta took hers and Larry took his and they lit a third candle and blew out their individual candles because the, because she wasn't entering his life and he wasn't entering her life. They were entering a new life. You see the difference there? So, heaven isn't a place I'm going, but it's also not a place I'm staying. It's the two areas no longer having a directional differentiation between the two of them. So, when heaven is attained, earth and heaven will have become one, So we won't know if we're there or we're here because there and here will have become a new place where there is no division called here or there, north or south, east or west, me or you. Everything will be one, even as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. We won't lose our differentiation, amen, but we will be gaining our unity. That's what God wants so why why are we caught up in the air? Because that's where the cross is. The cross is in the air. Jesus, in the air, off the ground, uniting heaven and earth, uniting man, sinful man, righteous man, uniting them. Pastor, this is all mystical and stuff. How's this help me for Monday? It has everything to do with Monday. Because Thessalonians is saying, Hope for tomorrow. But hope for tomorrow alone is an evil thing to do if you're not also hearing Amos say, but you still have to work for today. There are a lot of Christians out there, a lot, and I've met them and I've talked to them and I talked to some of them recently who are just so happy that one day I am going to fly away. And all this mess is going on, and there's nothing you can ever do about it, so just, Lord Jesus, come and take me home. That's called escapism. Escapism means I'm letting go of all my earthly responsibility and just hoping Jesus takes me away one day. Now, here's the thing. We've all been there. When it's bedtime routine at our house, and you got the tub overflowing and Theo running around with no diaper on, and Sophia just decided to paint her nails for God knows for what reason at night, Just before bed, I'm like, Lord, if if you could just come back right now, that'd be amazing. And just take me or leave me, whichever one. If I end up left behind and it's quiet, thank you. Oh, please. (laughs) Please. Jacqueline prays this prayer thrice daily, probably, (laughs) not just me. (laughs) Notice, Amos says, we want justice to be rolling which direction? Down. Because Jesus, as he's coming back to this earth, his coming back to this earth is doing something to this earth. So Amos won't let you get away with pie in the sky when you die because Amos is saying, look, heaven is going to be rightness happening everywhere. So people say, you know, is the, is the return soon? Is he coming back soon? And I'm like, listen, do, in Acts chapter 1 at the end, the disciples ask Jesus what we've been predicting forever. Is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says to them what he says to us every time. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So anybody that you read, hear, or see that is predicting his return is being disobedient to Jesus who also says, I don't know. Well, there's wars and rumors of wars, and there's earthquakes and the Middle East, and here's the thing. If you get caught in the weeds of saying... Uh, We're starting to be able to predict the time you are disobeying the Spirit speaking through Jesus Christ himself. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But then he says this, but if you will wait, you will receive power to be my witnesses, when we're willing to lay down wanting to know when, we can pick up power to be witnesses. So many of us walk around with no power because we're so busy wanting to control times and seasons that we're walking around with no power to change anybody, let alone ourselves. And Jesus is saying, What every parent says to every kid, I'm not telling you when. Listen and obey. listen and obey. There is a day coming when he's going to make everything here right and he's going to restore everything that injustice has taken. That day is coming. That day sustains our hope for the work of today. The Thessalonians' encouragement sustains the Amos' work There is work. He's saying this, let justice roll down like streams, like rivers. And the question I have for myself is how much goodness, how much blessing is locked up in my life, in my privileged life, that is dammed up in my life and it's not rolling down and flowing to people who are less fortunate than I am. Let justice roll down like water. I made this joke about the bathtub. It's a real thing. I got a sheetrock guy coming to my house because it's a real thing. Bathtubs leak when they stay on, but you know what else should? Blessings. Oh, pastor, I'm so blessed. The Lord keeps pouring into my life. There should be a flood destroying your metaphorical house, leaking down and landing on people who aren't having all of that being poured into their life. If it's not, God is not rejecting us, but he's saying, I don't care about the songs you sang on Sunday if the joy you had there isn't falling out of you onto somebody else's life who's ready to end it on Monday at work. That's what it means for Jesus to come back. Not this moment when we're all just going to be taken, but he wants to come back every day through your life. Jesus wants to come back every day through your life somebody said to me this week as we were talking about this he's coming back any minute and i said he's coming back every minute he comes back every minute looking to see how are you doing with what i've deposited into your life the contradictions are they becoming harmonies Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And like all of Israel said, us too. And then they didn't. But you know what? I've said it, as Stephanie sang today, 10,000 times. All right, that's it. That's it. That's the last time I make that mistake. From now on, as for me and my heart, I'm going to serve the Lord. And then a few days later, mess up. But you know what? That's the last time. From this day forward, that mess up taught me. That one taught me what I needed to know. I got foot surgery number one. Lord, you taught me some things. Foot surgery number two. Oh, yeah. Taught me some other things. I may or may not have a third one coming up at the end of this month. I'll talk to you about it another time. Yes. But you know what? This is going to be the one. This, this situation is going to be the situation. This breakthrough is the final one. This healing is the final one. And then it's not, and then it's not. And then we say the next one's going to be. And you know what? Here's the reality. Every time we fall down, we got to get back up and say, Ask for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Why? Because His mercies are new every morning. And mourning isn't something that happens at the beginning of a day. Mourning happens every time you say, Lord, forgive me. My Uncle Pete, my late Uncle Pete, passed away years ago. This one Saturday, he stops by the house to drop something off to my dad's, my dad's brother. And it was January like 15th or so, but it was like 70 degrees. And I joked and said, Uncle Pete, let's go play golf. He goes, I got my clubs in the trunk. Let's go. Remember this? Me and Uncle Pete went and played. And we we went to this golf course called Dogwoods. It's like the best and the worst golf course. It's the worst because it's dangerous to even walk around out there, but it's the best because they let you play in the snow. They don't care. And so we get to the tee box and it's like, yo, can you believe this? It's January. Look at us. We're playing golf. It's January. It's warm. It's 70. And my Uncle Pete hits this drive. Perfect drive. I remember it so clearly. Right down the middle. Gets up, goes to hit a second shot, hits it two feet in front of him. The ball just went bloop. And I yelled, see it which is what you're supposed to say if you think somebody lost the ball. I was being sarcastic. It was right there. He gets up, hits the next one right onto the green. Two feet from the cup. Gets up there and misses the putt. Gets up, misses the putt. And I'll never forget this. I can picture it, I can picture the hat he was wearing, his little transition glasses that become sunglasses when he's outside, I can picture it. He dropped his putter and he looked at me and he goes, can you believe this? Same guy. So what do you mean? He goes, perfect drive, hit a duff. Perfect shot, missed three putts. Same guy. And I thought to myself, that's the story of Joshua. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Then we're cursing everybody in our house out five minutes on the way home from church. Then on Monday, we wake up and we hit a better shot. Hey, we had a good day. We got the kids to bed. Everything was good. Tuesday, cursing everybody out again as if Jesus is not around. And it's like, same family. So you sit there and say, we're going to resolve to work while it is still day. We're going to get rid of the high places in our life. And then we don't. Imagine that was the end of the sermon. And then comes, so Thessalonians is saying, rejoice in the day of the Lord. But Amos is saying, yes, but only if justice is coming through your life. Because you don't want Jesus to come back. Church, you don't want Jesus to come back and see all the areas where blessings in your life were dammed up and stuck in your house when they could have been pouring out of your house. That is a scary thought. It should be, a, you ready? A sobering thought. It should sober us from the enchantment and the allure and the drunkenness of blessing. Blessing generosity is the way that we stay sober and don't take too many hits on our blessings. Write that down. (laughs) Then Joshua says, get up. Make decisions. Tear down high places in your family. Find out where the idols are. Find out where the priorities have shifted. Find out where Christ isn't being put first. Find out where he's not on the throne in your heart and put him there. Yes, should we be doing that? A resounding? And when we don't, should we try again the next day? And when we don't, should we try again the next day? How long? Not long, right? That's what we're doing. We're trying. But then, this parable that Jesus tells, that Sheena read. Ten virgins. Some had a little extra oil. Didn't tell the other ones. Bridegroom was delayed. And I sat with this one all week, like, not in my stomach. I don't like this parable. I don't like it. It's tough. It's it's tough to work through because it seems like it's easy. And that's always when it should scare you when you're reading the Bible. And then something clicked this morning. Ten is the number of the law. Numerology, ten. Ten is the number of the law legalism, law, perfectionism, not perfection, perfectionism, the thought that if I don't do all 10, it's as if I have failed in everything. And listen, some of us walk around, we'll say we don't when it comes to theology, but some of us walk around like if we get nine things right as a parent and fail in the 10th thing, we failed in all 10 things. Some of us walk around like, if everybody accepts me in my life and everyone is affirming me in my life except this one person, it's as if nobody's affirming me. We live as if we are the summation of the last thing that happened to us. If the last thing was good, it was the best. I'm the best. I'm doing great. If the last thing that happened was a bill we didn't expect, that's it. Everything's over. Finances are crashing. You've heard me make this joke before, but you get out of work on Friday and one thing goes wrong and you're like, the whole weekend is ruined. Somehow Sunday is now ruined because of something that happened Friday at 4.45 p.m. I'm famous for this. This is my thing. I will wake up on Saturday morning and something will go wrong and I'll be like, Jacqueline, the whole weekend is just terrible. She's like, it's 6.30 a.m. on Saturday. Shut up. Stop it. And then sometimes something goes well And we're like, oh, my God, my life is finally where I want it to be. So be careful. God, be careful. That's perfectionism. I'm only good if everything is perfect, and I'm terrible if it's not. That's the number 10. What does Jesus do? Very interesting. Does anybody know what the number of grace is? Five. How many stones did David pick up? Five he tells this story beautifully where the ten are now divided into two groups of five. You know why? Because the wise virgins and the foolish virgins are both me. It's not two groups of people. Some people are going to have enough and some people aren't. It's about Jesus Looking into my life and saying to part of my life, Behold, I never knew you. There's a part of me, Christian spiritual directors call it, and maybe you've heard this phrase before the shadow self. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as the false self. It's the part of you that you've made in your image that isn't really made in the image of God. And it's not your true, honest self. It's the self that you want to portray to everybody. It's even sometimes the self that you want to portray to you, but it's not your actual true self. And Jesus, that self is always running out of oil. That self is always coming up short. That self always is getting you to the location of the party, but never in the door. And then you start to get frustrated with that self and angry with that self. And you start to hate that self. And Jesus is saying, here's the deal. I'm banishing that self. I'm saying I never knew you. He's not saying that to people. He's saying that to the part of you that he didn't make that way and he's leaving you with the part of you that is made in his image that is always invited in, full of mercy and grace. So part of our life, part of the contradiction is that in me is this true self, and it's always battling this false self. Well, is that biblical? Yes. Look at Jacob wrestling with God, and he wrestles until his name changes to Israel. Jacob is the false self. Israel, the true self. Look at Simon Peter. His name is Simon. It becomes Peter. But read all four Gospels and listen to how masterfully Jesus sometimes calls him Simon, sometimes calls him Peter, but but when he's forgiving him at the end, he says, Simon Peter, do you love me? Look what he's doing for you. He's calling out to your false self. And he's calling out to your true self. And he's asking them both, do you love me? Because he doesn't reject, he harmonizes. He's taking everything you think you are, everything you want to be that you shouldn't, everything that you think you should be that is actually enslaving you and making you depressed, he's taking that, And he's harmonizing it into himself with who you really are. Grace, not perfectionism. All of this to say, sometimes you hear a message that is concrete, like just struggle or no title. Remember, no title? That was fun. Sometimes you hear a message like this that is like, what is this about? Sometimes you're living with, like, legion, with so many different hats, so many different thoughts about yourself, so many different views swirling around you so many hashtags, so many slogans, so many decisions to make. Which group are you a part of? Who are you part? Are you left? Are you right? Are you pro? Are you anti? And it's all swirling around all the time. And the reality is, all that stuff is going out there in, in society, but in us forever since the minute we had conscious thought. We are trying to figure out who we are, where am I, who should I be, where should I be? It's constant. And this message is simply saying, Like Stephanie said in the song, stop and know that he harmonizes all of these contradictions. He rebukes, but he doesn't reject. He strikes down, but he doesn't destroy. He disciplines, but he doesn't stop loving. He saves, but he also holds accountable he rebukes the false self which is also him accepting the true self it's the moment where peter is sinking in the water and jesus is rebuking him and saving him at the same time oh it says he rebuked him oh you've little faith why did you doubt and he's saying it as he's saving him because christ is a harmony, his rebuke is also his salvation, his salvation is also a rebuke, and what is he doing? He is working in your life right now. You may feel him drawing you closer, you may feel him pushing you farther away, you may be in a season of stability, you may be in a season of disorientation, and all of it is designed for you to learn to move away from the shadow self into the true self. The self, you ready, that knows whether I have abundance, or whether I have nothing, the harmony is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I'm sick or whether I'm healthy, they're not a contradiction. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I got it right or whether I got it wrong, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I feel great about myself or whether I hate myself, whether there's work to do or whether I'm just in a night season like the women in the story and everything is delayed and nothing is going on and I'm just sitting here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And not just I can do all things, but my life can be a blessing even when it's producing nothing. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Your life could be a dream, or it could be a nightmare. And the gospel is saying, you're going to wake up to a better day. You're going to wake up to a better day. As we get ready to come to the Lord's table, I'll offer you this last thought. He says to the five women who ran out of oil, he says, behold, I never, what? What? knew you, which is a clue into what the oil in that story, not in every story, but in that story, the oil represents intimacy. Let's close our eyes for a second. Let's close our eyes for a second. The oil represents intimacy. He's saying to the ones who ran out of oil, behold, I never knew you. You could set up all your goals. You could have all your poster boards up, all your spreadsheets at the beginning of the year, all your visualizations everywhere. You have all the people reminding you in your group texts and everything, what you said at the beginning of the year. Remind me, I'm going to be powerhouse this year. I'm going to do my thing this year. I'm going to make a billion dollars this year. We're going to be a power couple this year. 10 days into January, it's like, are we even gonna make it to February? There's gonna be moments where all that stuff is rolling. It's rolling in the direction you want it to, it is. There's gonna be moments where that's happening. Then there's gonna be moments where everything is delayed, everything shuts down, none of it is working. You're getting older and it's not getting any closer to those goals. And you're sitting there at night and Jesus is reminding you that there's oil and that oil represents intimacy with him intimacy with him that's why the five couldn't share it because you can't share intimacy it's between you and the Lord There's a lot we can share with each other. There's a bunch we're not supposed to be sharing with each other. I won't go into detail, but you should not share intimacy. Except with the one you're betrothed to. Amen? There's an intimacy for you if you're in that night season that will hold you through that night season. There's an intimacy that he's offering you. But he's saying to you, It's there. And it's asking you can you make time for it? Can you put down the phone and pick up the Bible? Can you wake up at 3 in the morning and instead of scrolling, put on a song? Can you pray your anger instead of telling all your friends about it? Can you, can you DM God instead of making your Instagram your personal diary? Remember when diaries used to be private? Hidden under a pillow? Now it's called Instagram. And it, your, your, your personal private thoughts, they're not for everybody. You're harming them and you're harming yourself by putting all your personal stuff out there. Some of it is just meant for Jesus, Salem. And like a good husband, he doesn't want you exposing your intimacy to everybody in the world he wants it to be special between you and him don't allow there to be breaches in the wall of your intimacy with the lord it's the thing that gets you to sunrise it's the thing that gets you. It it's it's works in a marriage. It works in a friendship. It works with the Lord. It is never a skill or a talent that gets you through. It is the love you share with somebody that gets you through. Open that space for the Lord. He wants to show you who you really are. on the night when he was betrayed. He had intimacy with the Father through the Spirit, Salem. Jesus was in a night season. Jesus was being betrayed. Jesus was in a season where nothing was growing. Everything was being torn up. And he sits there at this table and what we see is his intimacy with the Father and that intimacy is called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the intimacy that the Father shares with the Son and the Son shares with the Father. That, that union that they have is called the Holy Spirit. And we see the power of that intimacy when Jesus looks darkness, death, and nighttime in the face and says, thank you, and he blesses it. One of the greatest breakthroughs you could ever have in your entire life is when the next thing goes wrong. There is such a strength in your walk with the Lord that out of your mouth does not come some sort of curse or gossip or vent. But imagine if you stopped and you actually became thankful. What a resistance to the enemy. What a resistance to the flesh. What a resistance to the powers and principalities, both natural and spiritual, that want you to feel like you're less than. What if you walked around thankful? It would shut their mouth. Jesus says, thank you for this bread. Thank you that it's my body. Thank you that it's going to be broken. And thank you that its brokenness is going to vaccinate death. We're going to offer death a dose of itself, and it will cease to be death anymore. I'm going to conquer death by my death. That's what James is talking about when he's saying count it all joy when you fall into various trials because when you realize when things start to fall apart, when you're the recipient of injustice, when the world around you gets wrinkled and crumbled, in that moment, the Holy Spirit is giving you an anointing to bring life to the very situation that's taking life from you. But we have to have no breaches in the wall. We have to point that intimacy to the Father and say, what do you want me to do here? Well, what he told Jesus was, offer them that bread and tell them that your broken body is going to feed them in their brokenness for the rest of time. He wants to speak over your brokenness. He wants to speak over what's going wrong. He wants to speak over your disappointment, your anger, the anger in you that you're pretending isn't there, but it really is. You think it's funny, you think it's jokes, but it's really sadness and frustration. He wants to speak to all of that, Salem, and harmonize the contradictions. He doesn't want to reject them. He doesn't want to just accept them the way they are. He wants to harmonize them. C.S. Lewis said this, God loves you so much, he will accept you as you are, but he loves you so much, he will never leave you as you are. He will accept you, and he will heal you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you descend on this bread, descend on this brokenness, and make it for your people, the body and blood of your son, our Lord the holy food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that you descend on us, descend on our good, descend on our bad. Harmonize it. Work in it. Let your gospel light shine through it. Show us the high places to tear down and give us the strength to keep trying when we don't. And make us for the world, food, sustenance, salt and light pray all this in the name of the father of the son and the holy spirit and everybody said you're welcome to come to the front elder george will be here elder ron will be here come worship with us this morning
0: thanks for listening to the salem tabernacle podcast for more information about us including gathering times and our location check us out online at salemtabernacle.com